welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Ron. And I'm Nick. And this is our review of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, starring Andrew Jacobs, Jorge Diaz, Gabrielle Walsh, Molly Ephraim, and occasionally Katie Featherston. Directed by Christopher B. Landon, released in 2014 on a budget of $5 million, grossed over $90 million at the box office. So we talked about last time that the career progression of the production team here seemed to be up the ladder, you know, that, that you know, eventually they were going to get to somebody else directing, and this time it's Christopher Landon. And the writer now being the director, and they go with a side story, a spinoff, which I thought was an interesting idea. I mean, Latinos haunted in their hood, a change of setting. I mean, how did that strike you, fellas? I think they should have called it the Marked Wands, J U A N S. It just going the full like uh, exploitation angle with it. I mean, I think de- demographically speaking, I think it's a great idea. And I also think it actually succeeded in breathing a little bit of life into this series. I don't disagree with you there that that I didn't know where else there was to go. I still wonder where else there is to go after all of this, because there's nothing else to explain, I didn't think, unless they want to go forward some, which they seem to be totally against doing. But I will say this one from the top. They interjected a ton of intentional humor in this one. And I, I... I don't know that that was a bad idea and was the wrong way to go. I think that was smart. I wasn't well, laughing. <laughs> I was laughing. I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. I thought it was hilarious. This is kind of like uh, kind of like the Jeffersons of the uh, Paranormal Activity series. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had no idea what this movie was about. Um, I just knew it was a marked one. So I had some kind of Day of the Dead style uh, cover art on there, so... That, that was the only thing that was kind of maybe telling that it was going to be kind of, you know, Hispanic uh, protagonist in this movie. But I had no idea this was going to be a spinoff at all. So that was a pretty big shock to me as soon as this movie started up. I was like, where's the, you know, nuclear white family? <laughs> Instead, we got the uh, you know, high school, uh, high school Latinos. So it was uh, qu- quite a shock, quite a change. Uh, we'll get into it, how much I liked it or uh I uh, disliked it, but uh, we'll get there. Gee, I wonder which one it's going to be. <laughs> Indeed. Well, I'll tell you what, before we get any further, Nick, why don't you give us the plot summary for Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones. Teenagers Jesse, Hector, and Marisol look forward to a carefree summer after high school graduation, playing with Jesse's video camera and GoPro, but the murder of a neighbor leads them to a terrifying encounter with the supernatural. After breaking into the neighbor's apartment, Jesse and Hector find a collection of ritualistic art and other bizarre items. Jesse takes a journal of occult writings and soon after finds a strange mark on his arm. Erratic behavior leads Jesse's friends and family to learn he is part of the demon's plan to take over the world by having his loyal witch coven put spells on pregnant women all over the place. (laughs) One of which is Jesse's mother. Dun, dun, dun. Hector and Marisol seek help from a local thug, Arturo, and they find a gateway takes them to an unholy place, Grandma Lois's house at the time of the third film ended. 
The Coven of Witches and the Possessed Jesse attack the four and engage in a fight, in which Marisol and Arturo's friend are killed. Hector flees, leaving a seemingly dead Arturo behind, and goes through a gateway. He finds himself in the household of Katie and Mika at the time of the first film's ending. Hector and Katie are walking from upstairs to get a knife. Upon seeing Hector, she screams for Mika, who arrives to attack Hector. But Mika is stabbed to death by Katie as Hector flees. Hector is killed by a possessed Jesse and drops the camera. The recording captures an old lady who picks up and turns off the camera. And the version I saw did not end like that. Really? What did what did you see that ended differently then? I watched like the extended cut. You must have. I was going to say, I have seen both, but I did watch the, the standard cut for this. Ron, which one did you see? Uh, I've seen both, but this time I watched the standard cut because I didn't have time for that extra <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah. Okay, so what's different in the extended cut ending then, Nick? The ending, it was different. It was... um. I believe it ended right at the house with Mika and Jess and uh, Katie. So you didn't see the part where the grandmother picked up the camera then at the end? No, of it. I did not see that one. Okay, that that is in the extended cut, actually. So I included that because it's an interesting point, because it's supposed to tie together all of this you know these random plot lines in the middle of you reading all of that with like the whole bit about pregnant women and everything, like I had a a horrible flashback to the time Nick you and I reviewed Alien versus Predator Requiem. You know the I last have, time we we had to talk. I have, I have not remembered any part of that movie, Jay. <laughs> Until I just mentioned that, and the last time pregnant women got used in some half-ass way in a crazy horror movie, I think it was that. Well, maybe not, but she should. It was an odd part, and to hear you read that, that it, it's almost. I don't know. It does, I don't know that it serves the film that we actually saw. Like that's that's exactly how everything goes down. But so much of this is in the delivery I, to me because I'm with Ron. I laughed almost entirely through this movie. I thought these main characters were hilarious, particularly Jesse and Hector. I thought they were like a couple of bumbling idiots. They were they were definitely the funniest people we've had in this series. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Jay. I think one of the problems that has has carried throughout the series is that it takes itself really super seriously. And this seems like the first time where people are actually having, like, it, it shows, I guess, some of the positives of demonic possession, or at least, you know, hints that, that it's not all, like, shrieking demon faces in the dark. Yeah, it turns this kid into like Chronicle, right, or one of those kind of movies. So that's that's sort of what it's like. He becomes a, a superhero for you know five minutes before he's possessed, right? Yeah, because he's like falling off the of chairs and floating in the air, and like Toby is is kicking the crap out of some local thugs for him. And I mean, I you know. I I think Jesse could win every limbo com test known to man with that that back move that he's got i mean and then watching hector try to do it is what's hilarious i mean that's that's where the humor comes into me okay, so nick you're you're not having fun with this like you didn't enjoy any of that uh no i really didn't have fun with this movie i guess it's just this whole uh camera thing and everything has kind of gotten to me a little bit I really enjoyed the first one, and I think it's kind of been a kind of a little bit of a steady decline since that. Um, this one just kind of felt like I don't know, it just felt more of the same, but with just different characters. And I guess I just wasn't really feeling these three main characters here, and especially when like 
they started changing stuff up a little bit. Like, you know, I, I give them credit that they're not going with the whole thing again where we're going to have a static camera and we're going to wait for stuff to start happening and it's going to slowly escalate to the end. I'm happy that they took it in a different direction, but I wasn't really feeling this new direction that they were going with given the, uh, one of the characters, you know, superhuman powers in a way. At least we got some nudity this time. And some bad nudity, too. We <laughs> yeah, we're we're going to talk about that. I want to talk about, though, the camera setup here. I'm glad you brought that up. I thought the GoPro thing was uh, was a pretty good idea. I mean, that's the evolution of how cameras have sort of come along since that first paranormal activity. And, you know, we, we've gone from that to flashing back to, you know, we, we've done the security cameras. And then we we did the, you know, the old 80s VHS tapes. And you know, then we went to the kid that's always on her computer or her iPhone. And now it's, you know, the GoPro and my little handy cam thing that, are, that these kids are carrying around. I... I kind of went with the, the camera angle. I thought it was fresh. I mean, it's the it's also the second time in a row that they've n- they didn't bother to try to explain why these cameras are on all the time. It's just a part of these kids' life. I I kind of dug it. I mean, Ron, what did you think about the just the camera stuff? I really liked the camera because I remember how big GoPros were in 2012. Because back when this movie was set, like GoPro came out of nowhere and just became like a huge force overnight. And for a good year, everybody had to have one of these little cameras you just stuck to your helmet or wore on your lapel or however people wore it for yeah you know, their their uh, I mean extreme sports purposes. I mean, yeah, I, I kept thinking the whole time. I'm like, this is, I mean, when they, they the guy jumps in the uh, laundry basket and goes down the stairs, you know, I'm like, I've seen that on YouTube a hundred times. That was hilarious, you know. I, mean, now, I guess the next one, they're going to have somebody like, you know, the demons are going to periscope everybody or something like that. That would be the newest thing, right? So I don't know. <laughs> it's going to be a movie made of vine clips. Hey, maybe it should be. I don't know. But I, I don't know. I kind of liked it. But what was it particularly? Were you just not into the characters or anything, Nick? Or what? Was it, or were, like you're saying, is it just the whole format is played out on you? I think it was just the characters themselves. They just kind of came off as just kind of, I don't know, it's just, like, maybe it's just the age. You know, like, you know, when you have, like, younger kids and stuff, they're a little bit more fun in the movies and whatever. And then when you have, like, I guess more adults and douchebag Miko that there's something to hate. I guess they were just kind of milk toast is the word. Okay. Like, they were, you know, like, you know, one of the beginning scenes that we see is, like, you know, them getting to a fight with a bunch of like vatos down in like you know la and stuff and these kids just kind of seem like a bunch of wieners at first they are they they go to school they graduate they have plans for life like they're not the badass vatos that's the idea they didn't have the uh the button-up shirt with only the one top button down (laughs) (laughs) no but we did get arturo the gangster later but yeah Mm -hmm. so you're saying these weren't the dangerous minds kids no 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 it was just something about there. I guess I just couldn't relate to them in a way. I just, you know, I see what they're trying to do, why they're trying to bring in a new ethnicity here, trying to open up the whole, you know, universe and then, you know, do the spinoff with all new added stuff. But I just, I wasn't feeling these characters and it may just because I'm worn out on the series, to be honest with you. It just, maybe I'm going into it with like a bad attitude, but uh, yeah, I just, I wasn't feeling them really that much. You know, I, as the movie went on, it got more interesting with them, and we'll get into why that was the case. But in the beginning, it was just kind of like I'm sitting there, just kind of tapping my foot, like, "Come on, let's get on with the guys. Let's, let's get let's get Toby going on here or something," you know. 
Well, you know what? Let's talk about th- what this adds to the paranormal activity lexicon, if you will. And it's pretty much just that this demon's plan is just not to white suburban America, which is all we've seen so far, right? It's that, you know, the, these witches and women like them have made these deals with the Toby demon or the powerful demon, devil, whatever, for a long time. And we get that one photograph with the, you know, the crazy bruja, they call her, the witch of the apartment complex. And there's a picture of Grandma Lois when she's younger with a, you know, a, a when she's pregnant. And so you see, so, okay, that's how she got mixed up in this or got involved with it in some way. So that's supposed to tell us that backstory. That's really all they give us is that, though. I mean, that That's what this adds. So the demon's plan is to be multicultural, I guess. I, I guess it's building an army from all angles. I think that's actually a pretty smart uh, way to build in the spinoff. And, I mean, let's be clear, this is probably a spinoff attempt an attempt to reach out to new and different markets. Um, because, you know, as we saw in the third one, there are a lot of these witches and they just keep like popping up out of nowhere. And so it makes sense that any good demon isn't going to put all his eggs in just one Carol Ann basket. You're going to, you should probably, you know, diversify. Honestly, I, I kind of went with it and just thought, well, that actually makes a lot of sense that it wouldn't just be isolated to the the three families we've seen, that it was more. And, you know, see, I, I, I don't like that, though. You I don't? don't. OK. I kind of liked it that it was all about one family. And the reason is, is I just think that it by spreading it around and stuff, it just makes it feel more. Less realistic, I guess. Can I can I throw this at you? What if yeah. this had been, let's say, his grandmother that he lived with had been the housekeeper for that uh, family in the second film? What if that Cons- was her? Would that have you know worked better for you? If it would have been like Cons- Consuela from the first <laughs> one, and she brought that over, the second one, I yeah, could, yeah, yeah, over the second one. I'm sorry, but you know, like, yeah, that would have maybe linked it up a little bit better that maybe this ghost had unfinished business with her and you know it's kind of like hey we got to get rid of anybody who knows anything that may have worked a little bit better but i guess it's back to my original point is you mean you're making him now like totally like international in a way by saying like you know it's not just affecting one family it's affecting many many other things and to me i think it just kind of almost kind of cheapens it when you think it's you know that What's going on with those original families is not unique to them. I disagree with you only in the fact that I think it makes it scarier to think, gosh, this thing could be a lot bigger than we even know. Like that to me adds to any level of horror you could have with it. Ron, where do you weigh in on this? Uh, I, I kind of fall on your side, Jay. I mean, yeah, it does make it feel more special if it's a Rosemary's Baby type of situation where all the eggs are in this one basket. But to me, like the the brood or uh, like village of the damned is a scarier scenario because they're strength in numbers instead of having just Katie flying around making demon faces and and killing people you could have Jesse doing the same thing or uh, Oscar it makes it makes more sense to me that it would affect more people in like a violent way um, and and that kind of that well, would explain why all these witches are there serving uh, Toby, you know, Bagul, whatever. 
Well, I guess, you know, the, to bring on the, you know, you're talking about Village of the Damned. I mean, if they would have had that movie and then they did a sequel where it's like another town and another, you know, another state had the same exact thing happen to them. And then it was like, oh, yeah, like 20 towns, you know, that's happened to. Wouldn't that kind of lessen the effect of the first movie to think it was just like one little normal town and this could happen to your town instead of making it like a whole global thing? I mean, it depends on what they would do with the global society of creepy albino children. Uh, you know, like See, a lot me, of it depends on what you're going to do with that idea. Cause it doesn't make, it doesn't make, uh, night of the living dead less effective. Cause in dawn of the dead, you see that it's happening to a whole big city and not just like some country farm. But I guess, I guess more to my point is like, I think you have like uh one ghost and this guy is just after one family. I think it just makes it a lot more effective than to think it's like a whole bunch of other people who are having the same type of experience. It makes them, it makes the first couple of movies like less unique from like a, you know, a universe building perspective. But I think he's having a, he's getting a different experience than Katie got. Oh, he is. He is. And we'll get into that about as far as like what the experience is. I guess I'm just kind of saying is like, I did like it that it was with the original family and it was following a bloodline and now we're bringing in other stuff and it's kind of like, you know, where's it going to stop? You know, where's the, what's the end game here? Cause you know, before it'd been like a nice small little coven and stuff like that. And to what makes sense about it for me is if this is happening all over the place and it's going to be how, how long before it's publicly known that there's like these witches out there where, you know, I think it's like, you know, it's not a good movie, but you, know, you guys have ever seen The Faculty. Yeah. And the one thing I liked about that movie is when they talked about, you know, if you're going to take over something, you go through the back door. You don't go blow up everything like White House style. You keep it small. And that's kind of what I liked about the original ones was it just seems small. It seemed intimate. And I always like horror movies that are more intimate, more small. You know, I think it's I, even like when they, when you look at like the alien series, for instance, mm-hmm. people always, cha- always champion that first one. Cause it's a small movie. It's only happening to a couple people. But then, you know, if you do something crazy like AVPR where it's in, you know, it's in Colorado, it kind of lessens the creature in a way. Oh, I see what you're saying, Nick. And I think you're making a, a fair point about it or whatever. And it is a gamble. And I'll say this now. It's not one that they seem to in, intent to follow up on. I think this was a, a shot to see, can we diversify this series any? And you know, it made a lot of money, but I, there's no plans to follow up on any of this. I mean, I haven't heard that Jesse's going to be a part at all of the ghost dimension or if we're going to get any well, of that. Let me ask that. you this, Jay. Yeah. The Bourne movies. Did you like it when they were doing another Super Soldier? Oh no, I mean we that didn't work because uh, even though we knew there were more than just him, it it didn't work the same way because the focus was no longer on him. That movie was more about the Rachel White's character anyway than it was the uh, Jeremy Renner guy. So I, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. I mean it it's a fair criticism of it. I'm just saying I happened to go with this because. I locked into Jesse and Hector early on, and I found them to be humorous and fun to to be around. I thought they were fun kids to watch because they are kids from the barrio and all this, but they're not tough at all. Like, they're definitely, I mean, they haven't had the most normal, you know, upbringing necessarily, but they are normal kids, and they're just funny together. And, And when they start screwing around and snooping around and find out about the witches and stuff, I was going for it. I mean, I I had a good time with it. Now, what did you make of them when they found all this, like, ritualistic stuff and they ended up, you know, taking, like, these scriptures and everything? 
was that something you guys could buy that these kids would all suddenly start like monkeying around with, you know, this weird ritualistic stuff they had no idea about? Absolutely. Yeah. I took that totally as the trope of the Hispanic family that has deep Catholic roots that would, you know, go toward that answer for something. Yeah. I mean, I, I bought it just cause I remember, uh, it, it, I, I'm not even that age anymore, but, um, when I was driving through cave city, I came across, uh, Funtown mountain, which is a, it's just a failed attempt at a, uh, revitalizing an old roadside attraction that this guy did, um, before he had a breakdown and like the police went and sealed it off and, uh, you know, put up tape and stuff. But if, my wife hadn't been there to talk me out of it. I would have gone up and creeped around the side of that mountain where a known crazy person has been hanging out, um, <laughs> fearless for my own safety, uh, just because I needed to satisfy my curiosity about the the weird things I've been seeing on the news about this guy. Yeah, I see. I'm pretty much the exact opposite. I can uh, recall being out in uh, Robinsonville, North Carolina, and I had to go take this mountain path to a job site, and there's these abandoned houses along the way. And I was with one of my coworkers and we had to pull off cause he wanted to take some pictures and he actually went into one of these houses and I'm just sitting in the truck and I'm like, Nope, not doing it, not doing it, not doing it. And he was in there for like 25 minutes and he finally comes out and he's like, well, I thought you'd come and try to find out where I was. I'm like, no, nah, I said I was about to leave in about five minutes. I was just going to leave you there. <laughs> I want no part of it. <laughs> so I guess just no, note to with, self, Nick is not invited on the ghost hunting tour. <laughs> so, just so I'm the, and and not on the Blair Witch extravaganza that we're going to go <laughs> on next week. So. I'm the guy that survives the horror movies because it's like get out of there. <laughs> I'm not screwing around. You guys are going to go upstairs. I'm going out the back door and jumping the fence. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you probably are the guy that survives in that that way, or you get chased down from behind by Jason anyway. So depending on what kind of movie you're in, but let's talk about how they find out about the witches though, because this is a funny scene to me. It's they use the GoPro and they sneak it down like you know a a, a vent shaft, right? And they start freaking out because there's this naked woman in there, right? And it's, you know, you finally get your nudity, Nick, that you've been wanting. And then all of a sudden, the old fat lady walks into the the screen and begins to paint that woman's body up. I laughed at that because I think that was a total moment for people like me. Just to be like, you're getting your nudity and you're getting the nudity you didn't want to get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was probably actually the scariest thing out of all the paranormal activity movies. <laughs> I gotta give that actress credit though; she's got no shams. <laughs> uh, but you know what? I get I the Hector kid and Jesse. The way they react is what is classic because they're like, "Oh man, yeah, this is great!" And all of a sudden, oh, oh, dude, my boner's totally gone. You know, I'm sitting there, my wife is sitting there cackling. We both are just dying because it's fun. I mean, it is funny because it's that's what those guys deserve for that. <laughs> you know, and if not more than that, because you know they're peeping toms. But yeah. I but I did like the fact that they start. That's how they start piecing all this crap together is they mess around her place all that and then that's when they get the encounter with oscar that's it comes up next that's the big thing and it took me a while to remember who he was and why he was important but i I didn't realize for a long time he was the valedictorian until you know watching it a couple of times and that he goes in there shoots her and then basically you know jumps off a building right that's what happens yeah and that was that was kind of a cool scene. I mean, when he brings back that one girl and he, uh, she opens up the little, you know, 
carpet seller, I guess. And he jumps out and he kind of makes like a premonition yeah. about, you know, you're going to kill your family, you know, unless you kill yourself. And then he ends up uh, jumping on the hood of the car. And it seems like this, and we'll get more into him as we talk about it, but you can kind of tell that they're kind of limited with their budget as far as these special effects go. Well, it's $5 million. I mean, they haven't spent more than $5 million on any of these movies. So they're yeah, still and they've doing only made $100 million. Cheap. Give them a couple extra million there for some That is not the, the Blumhouse formula. <laughs> that, is not how you ret- not. that is not how you retain wealth, Nick, <laughs> by spending any of it. Yeah, why would you give him $15 million when you can do almost as good with five million. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, that you know, this is why Guillermo del Toro is not directing the next episode. And certainly not, you know, Peter... Well, who am I thinking of? Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson. Yeah, Peter Jackson's not, not doing it either. So they're not going to give anybody any real money to do this. Uh, but, you know, I, I will admit, it does look cheap and... And sometimes I look to see how cheap these things can look in doing what they do. But this one, it never bothered me. I thought it looked pretty good. I mean, again, it's shot on a handy cam and a GoPro, so it, it looks fine. Yeah, I mean, th- I'm not really trying to rip on it. This is actually probably one of the better special effects. or some other stuff that's coming up that's pretty tacky. But I, overall, though, I, I like this scene. I liked with him jumping onto the car and everything. It kind of added this whole know wtf moment for the whole series because really we haven't seen anything like that yet usually we're with a family we don't really get any real deaths until the end so actually to see one you know third of the way through was actually uh something quite new you know what i liked about it was and you mentioned it is they've expanded the universe these kids don't just sit around the house all day like they get out and go do things and we get to go with them now the fact that the camera was mobile this time was big for me i mean it felt like we were on that same city block the whole time but at least we had something to look at that was different every day now i gotta ask i know we're kind of giving the movie the conceit with the whole handicam gopro whatever but um do they ever give a reason why they're carrying this stuff around i mean obviously the peeping tom scene that's there's a reason for that but yeah there were graduation presents for it. Yeah, but it's, was there any reason though for it to be on all the time though? Did they ever say anything like it get, I, I didn't see if they could, if there was a drop line. No, they they never gave a line for it. I think I said that earlier. They looks like the last one. They didn't explain it. It's just a part of these kids' lives. I think it's what we're supposed to accept. Ron, is that what you're reading in it? Uh, yeah, that's uh, the way I read it. Is if you spend like five hundred dollars of 2012 money on this thing, you're gonna like get as much use out of it as you can. I mean, from goofing around with the little chihuahua to uh, creeping on the naked old lady downstairs, I I think you're going to try to get as much out of that uh, as you can, especially when you start to develop your, you know, Toby-centric stunt show where you're falling (laughs) off of chairs and floating in air and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I like that chihuahua, by the way. I thought that was funny. So I I, I enjoyed the little best, chihuahua. The best actor in the film. He probably was. That and when Grandma got a little hammered and started singing, uh, I thought that was great. So That was funny. <laughs> I mean, who hasn't thought about it? Let's get Grandma a little tipsy and see what she does. Let's talk, though, about Jesse's powers that he finds and such like that I and mean, we've we've nailed down a lot of them he's able to bend backwards he can you know float in air and do all kinds of stuff i mean i i enjoyed him exploring his x-men powers or whatever it was he had i thought that was kind of neat though it, it quickly turns from being sort of fun to something that clearly is much more sinister 
Totally. I mean, this I think we brought it up before is uh, the movie Chronicle. This was having big flashbacks to that with him exploring his new powers and everything. And I thought it was kind of cool, but it, I totally was calling the whole time like these things are going to corrupt him. It's going to change him. But I, I did like, you know, a lot of the scenes with him kind of exploring it and, you know, kind of taking advantage of it right away as well. I mean, after you make the local thugs like go for a flight, it, it would it would only be natural that that kind of power would corrupt you in some way. Uh, yeah, I mean, how could it not after something like that, right? Because what we're talking about, they're coming back from the playground and they're trying to get something out of a vending machine, and these two guys come up wanting the stuff that's in their backpack, and so they start getting beat down, and then all of a sudden Jesse like pushes them and he force pushes them twenty yards away. <laughs> You know, he's got Jedi powers. He got Sith powers there. But I guess that was kind of my one thing with the whole thing as well is like, you know, you guys talking about like this expensive camera. I'm like, if I was in that neighborhood, man, that thing wouldn't leave my room. <laughs> man, it was a tough neighborhood that those kids were in. But that's a great way to get it stolen because if you leave it behind and you're gone, everybody in that neighborhood knows you've got that camera. Yeah, I would never take it off my person either. I get it. I mean, maybe conceal it a little bit better, but yeah, I wouldn't take it off. So, I mean, I, I get <laughs> Everyone's going to know that they have it, though. They're using it all the time. Yeah, this is true. I mean, yeah. The, again, it's the conceit you have to give the film, but I, I wasn't bumping up against that. I was having fun with it. What I find interesting is that Hector and Marisol are the ones that are left behind to try to get some help. And they get help from an old friend, the cameo. Allie Ray comes back. Molly Ephraim makes a cameo in this movie to talk about the Witch's Coven and the Marked Ones and what that is. She gets the exposition of the film. And it, the first time I saw this, I didn't realize that's who that was. And I, I saw it in the credits, and then I was like, oh, that's who that was supposed to be. And now watching it, knowing that, it, it made it... You know, it answered a question for me. What happened to her? Because she comes home and her whole family's dead or gone. And now we know she's, I guess she's a, a demon hunter on the side now or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I didn't catch that it was her at first either. And now that you guys bring that up, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, totally didn't do, catch that. They do, like, mention it. Uh, they mentioned Carson, California, and they mentioned, like, the disappearing kids or whatever. But they don't like explicitly. I don't remember them ever like explicitly saying, "All right, let's call this girl Allie Ray." Well, it's it, yeah, it's on one of the. It's on. They're in Oscar's bedroom, you know, hanging out with Arturo, right? And it's what we see is Oscar's got all this research pinned up on a closet door, and her name and number are written on a piece of paper next to one of those uh, news articles about when her family got killed. That's where that's the only way you see her. But I again, I know that from subsequent viewings. I didn't see that uh, on the front end. Yeah, I think I missed that the first time through too. But well, does a, that add anything to it? I mean, again, it's another one of those tie-in this side story to these people. Yeah, I think it's just it's it's a nice little you know connecting device. At least a connecting device that we get right away. I think they're. Try. There, there's a reason for it, I think, and I think the reason for it is they want you to remember those other movies right away because it's going to come back into play at the end. Right, right. So the the point of it is again to to try and tie it all in as things continue to get you know weirder and weirder, and now it gets weirder is Hector starts acting like, or not Hector Jesse starts acting like a complete dick. <laughs> 
right? Like he he really becomes vicious. Like he tortures the dog and he's mean to Hector and he doesn't want to talk to anybody anymore and he starts sleeping all day. He kind of becomes a vampire. Yeah, totally. I think um especially the uh, gas station scene where they're at the convenience store and he pushes his friend into like, you know, the glass bottles and then you get the uh store clerk with the uh, worst bat swing ever. <laughs> he tries to hit him. <laughs> I think that's pretty much, you know, I know it's nitpicking guys, but that was like, you know, when he swung the baseball bat, it was like, "Oh, come on. I would have caught that and I don't have superpowers." <laughs> Terrible swing. He didn't that take was a- T-ball. Yeah, that was yeah. It clearly had been a few years since he was on the local softball team or anything. But I no, I liked it too. I thought that scene was good though because it started ratcheting tension up. Because this movie has been funny, and so now to start bringing in and and bringing tension into the mix was it was time. It was time. You know, we talked about that before. That sometimes it it takes these movies to get out of their second act. It takes them a long time to get into that next gear. And this one does does it a lot faster and a lot better in my opinion. I think this one rolls pretty quick. To me, it's really kind of a gradual progression of dickish behavior. I mean, what's is there really that much difference between you know holding the dog by his front legs and making him salsa dance versus using your magic force powers to hold him up in the air? Uh, you know, it's still kind of tormenting the dog in a way. I think I think one's worse than the other. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to <laughs> clearly, but but they're on the same continuum of, of behavior. It's yeah. not like, you know, well, it's, esca- it's, it's escalating. It's completely right. escalating. And I think that's why this movie has a much better second act than you guys are going to be shocked to hear me say this. This has the best second act of all the movies that we've seen. And that's because there's actual stakes here and there's something different going on. There's not, you know, just the cameras and just the slow escalation of events in the house is when you see him kind of you know, kind of transforming his persona over the course of the second act, it almost makes you forget about the coven. And it kind of makes you think that he's going to be the main antagonist this whole movie. And I like that a lot. I really do. And I think the second act, it moves quickly. I was kind of bored with the first act, but this second act really, really, really was, like I said, probably the best second act we've seen. I don't disagree with you. I I think it moves much better than most of these films had in their middle chapters where they begin to linger and just, you know, get stuck in the mud. You, you nailed it. It escalates quickly and it gets it gets us to the end. This movie is not that long either. The the uncut version is like 83 minutes I think of actual film. So, I mean, it's it's pretty quick and they don't waste a lot of time with it. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, they, they get right to the point. Then they take a turn in the third act though, that I wasn't ready for teleportation and like time travel all get wrapped up here in the same thing. These gateways that tie us into parts three and one and stuff. How did that fly for you guys? Terrible. I guess just my whole thing is, you know, we might as well spoil it right now is, you know, he ends up like teleporting back in time to when, you know, Katie and Mika's first adventure with Toby happened. And my question is, why not just set it during that time and just have it be something where he ends up in their house? Well, see, then that would have messed up the whole Allie Ray cameo, too, because I was confused about that, too. The first time I saw this, I said, wait a minute, if he's in, because I thought it was just a teleportation device. I didn't realize it was time travel, too, because I thought, wait a minute, how can he be in their kitchen when her family isn't dead yet? And they're talking to people, and this isn't edited, it's supposed to be just raw footage. So I was really confused by all of it. It, it, it added well, a layer that didn't need to be there, in my opinion. 
I mean, I, I agree that it's not really necessary. Uh, it, it was enjoyable, at least to me, because there was that, you know, I, I enjoy that little moment of, oh, I recognize that crappy couch and the weird bead things that she was working on or whatever. <laughs> uh, you know, so I that was a fun little moment, of a fun little aha moment. But I think it ties back into the doors not being portals to anything good. They're all portals to unholy places. Uh, right, and the two that we get uh, to see are Grandma Lois's place and Katie and Mika's. Right, and can you think of a more a less holy place than Grandma Lois's house? Probably not, considering that's where the coven originates from, right? I mean, that's or at least the biggest the the big sorority of them that we met at the end of part uh, four. And well, stuff. Make they sure, all seem to come just there. make sure you bring a shotgun when you go there. That was actually pro- <laughs> yeah. That was, what did you that make was of that? That's funny. Yeah, the two uh, the they... dude gangsters bring guns and start blowing these chicks away. You talk about like you know. Now these are the special effects that killed me. I was like, they should just drop like normal people would if they were shot with a shotgun. They don't need the extra, you know, seventy feet of push behind it. Oh, I think we needed the extra seventy feet of push because I don't think. You don't get a lot of realistic shotgun action in movies. I think we're used to that blowback action. So I think it mm-hmm. would be something that the audience would expect. Uh, plus, it's it's so much funnier that way. Yeah, it kind of reminded me, you guys ever seen the movie uh, The Perfect Plan? Yeah, yeah. When uh, they go into the house and they shoot the guy's wife with a shotgun and she goes flying back into the cupboards in the kitchen. That sort of reminded me of because these people were like shooting back, you know, Almost like Superman would fly. It was it was funny and actually it was uh, I don't I guess I could say quite enjoyable. <laughs> they kind of watch these uh, these Mexican hoods just completely taking out these coven witches. It's kind of like yeah yeah, yeah but even shoot, even shoot them. But even so, yeah, I mean that's the thing you always joke about in horror movies, right? It's like man, if anybody had a gun, it'd be on. And then you see when somebody does finally, well, there's only so much ammo, and there's a lot of witches, and apparently they're willing to do pawn sacrifice to go, you know, all out. Mm-hmm. I really, I really enjoyed that part because, like you, it, like you said, it was really super satisfying to see somebody finally shoot the crazy people. In one of these movies, I mean, sure, it was. I, we can assume it was ineffectual, but I mean, there, yeah, you've only got so many, so many shells in your shotgun, and since these witches were apparently springing up out of nowhere and like running, screaming at at these people, I imagine that's pretty. Even for like a, a clearly seasoned criminals, like you know Arturo and the gang are Santo were i think that would still be really intimidating to be chased around by these crazy white ladies probably so and well again they played it off it's partially played for laughs and partially played for the aha yeah about time somebody laid them on them but then it doesn't it doesn't matter because in the end hector and marisol still get you know separated and taken out by the the coven right like they still don't live through this thing yeah, and that's kind of one of the things now with these movies is like, you know, besides Allie from the second one, it's just like everybody's going to die. So it wasn't unexpected. I guess I'm just still kind of scratching my head about the whole time travel thing. I just don't see – it hasn't been hinted at before. And, you know, you can say like, oh, well, teleport, you know, the ghost teleported in the first movies. Well, that was a ghost. You know, it wasn't actual people that were teleporting. So – I don't know. To me, it was that was a bit too much. So as much as I was real high on the second act, 
and why I enjoyed some of the uh, the gun scenes with the coven. Just the stuff at the end, it was just overly confusing and very head scratching. And like I said, I still don't understand why they just wouldn't have done like a like a like the final destination and just said like, "Hey, tada!" The twist is that this actually takes place before the first movie. That's an interesting point, and I kind of thought that maybe that's where they were going because I do remember thinking to myself when I. I was watching this. I didn't know where it was going to end up. And the fact that it ended up at Katie and Mika's, I don't know. I've never really thought that was satisfying in any way. Like, I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't think that was, they were that big of a deal. And uh, I mean, I, I don't say they're that big of a deal. I didn't think we needed to tie back into them. Let me say it that way. What I, does it add? What does it add doing? Yeah. It, that, that to me is what I, I think you're, you're nailing it for me, Nick, that I'm not able to, to say it right here. I don't know that that adds anything to this series and to what's happened. Like to me, it just—I don't know—it's needless backstory. Uh, Ron, I—you I, know—I kind of hear you in the background thinking out loud there. I mean, what do you think? Are we are we crazy, or you know, is this something you were looking for? I, I mean, I wasn't looking for it, but I don't think it detracts from the film itself. I think it. I think at this point in any movie series, and, and you know we're what five movies in, yeah, you need to raise the stakes, and I think this is something that was necessary to raise the stakes to show that all right, this situation is getting much more serious. Uh, it's not just you know footprints and cocaine anymore, uh, like in the third, like like we joked in the third movie. Um, <laughs> but I will say that I do notice that the door motif. Um, wasn't the door motif also present in the uh, fourth one? Because the yeah. cre- creepy neighbor kid was like, "Let me take you to him," and was drawing like a portal in the 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 room. You know what? I didn't. I've never thought of that, but that's a that's an excellent point, and I think you're onto something there. I had never thought of that as a portal door, but I think you're right. And it and they both kind of reflect the door from the third one in that little creepy Harry Potter closet bedroom place. Uh, that Toby is in and remember the girl, uh, the girls get locked in there and all that stuff from the third one. Right. Right. I hadn't thought about that. That's I, you know, again, I, I wish, I wish there had been something in the movie to remind me of those things. Like, I think what you're saying is, is dead on and I agree, but I just wish there would have been something there to again, remind me of that so that I, I didn't have to, you think about it in having watched all these films like right here together and stuff, you know, that that would have been, Oh yeah, that's what that was. Like it didn't for a film that had been kind of tight and I'm with Nick had a great second act. It seemed to sort of sputter in the third for me, even though it had a big action film, you know, Rocky rock out ending. I, I uh, not Rocky ending, but rock out ending. I, I still feel like there's just a lot of loose threads dangling here off of this thing. The ending felt rushed, and it felt like we got to kill these people off, and we got to find a way to tie this back into the original. That's what it really felt like. But I guess my question, though, is: is was he killed in the same house with Mika and Katie, or did he get through the portal again? Uh, are you talking about uh, Jesse? Yeah, Jesse. I think Jesse got out of there because he's what kills Hector in the end, right, and makes him drop the camera. In that, well, in no, that I, guess, I guess I'm getting the names confused, but did Hector, where did Hector die? Did he die in that house? Or I thought Hector died back at Grandma Lois's. That's what the extended edition, at least, uh, has us believe. 
Yeah, that was the impression I got too, that he either died at Grandma Lois's or uh, was dragged into Grandma Lois's dimension. Or or back maybe yeah, and I may be wrong, maybe he was dragged back all the way to the, you know, the house that started that. I don't know. Yeah, I was just curious cuz I was like, was it was it a Cadian because cuz you think we would have heard that there was a, you know, you know, teenager that was dead in there with her or <laughs> something. Or no, with I, yeah, I don't think there was. Yeah, that's right. it wasn't at Katie and Mika's, that's for sure. It was somewhere where the body could have been disposed of, I think. Okay. Well, guys, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Paranormal Activity, the marked ones? Ron? I have to say, even with all the flaws that you guys have found in the third act, the, the humor in the first act and the much tighter second act uh, really uh, helped keep the film going for me, and I was so positively disposed to it after the first, you know, uh, 60 minutes or so that I was able to stick with it for the last Rocky 20 to 30, depending on which cut of the movie you watched. So I'm going to go with Large Popcorn. Uh, it's the funniest one for sure. It's definitely one of the one of the ones with the most action. If you're just looking for, you know, people being shot with a shotgun or uh, people actually doing something enjoyable with their new devil powers. It, it, it kind of works for me better than, say, the fourth one. I, I'd actually, it would probably be my third favorite in the series behind the third one and the first one. All right, Nick? Ah, uh, for me, I'm still going to go with the medium popcorn on this. I think the second act was real great. If the second act actually would have been like the other ones, it probably would have been a small popcorn. There are a lot of problems in this movie, but... The second act overpowers it a lot. I really wish they would have kept with the uh, Jesse and Hector dynamic and just had those guys really be the main crux of everything going on and maybe just end with the coven and that bringing all the Katie and Mika stuff. I really felt that was kind of pointless and just kind of a needless tack on. But overall, it's it's a medium popcorn. And I, I'm going to say now, I'm going to give this a large popcorn for two reasons. They found a way to make this humorous and have some real fun with it. And the second act is a vast improvement over anything they've done. And I didn't dislike the first act. I like the characters. I like the setup. And the third act's a little wonky. It falls apart. Okay. I'll forgive a film for that if I've had enough fun along the way. And I had enough fun along the way that I'll forgive what I consider to be the, the really strange ending to, and I, and maybe chalk it up to we're running out of money. we got to end this thing. Folks, thanks for joining us in the latest edition of Film Strip. We do appreciate your support. Till next time, for Ron and Nick, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Film Strip. 